Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Cetrag, the author of the book, How to Alleviate Digital Transformation Debt Post-COVID-19. And they discuss why pursuit of technology must always be goal-focused, what the decentralized Web 3.0 will look like, and why Cetrag believes every organization should be flattening its hierarchy. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. My education, I did my PhD. In fact, I have a master's in mathematics and a master's and PhD in computer science. Uh, the computer science is from University of Wisconsin-Madison. And then um, after that, I joined a company called MCC, Microelectronics Computer Corporation in Texas, which was a research think tank, about 70% or more PhDs from all around the world, the top top brains. You know, we would show up to work and say, what can we innovate? And, um, you know, there were branches in like databases, advanced databases. I did a lot of work there. Uh, intelligent databases. I ended up joining after that Ashton Tate. I don't know if you've heard of that name. Uh, it was the world's third largest uh, software company at that time. Uh, and uh, and I invented their um, intelligent databases, intelligent SQL. I'm sure you've heard of SQL. Uh, and I used to be part of the ANSI SQL standardization committee. And then I started getting into uh, document imaging, document management, workflow, uh, did a couple of uh, founding. Uh, I was the brain behind a, another successful company called Savion, which in 2002 was the world's leader in BPM. And I was the, you know, sort of the acting city or the brain behind uh, uh, inventing, getting them into the business process management, business process automation. Uh, I did some other ventures for a year, and then uh, Pega started having me as a uh, consultant, and then they made me an offer. So, uh, by the way, I, I was the MCC was in Texas. I moved to Northern California, Silicon Valley, did some ventures, and then moved to Boston. And uh, I was with uh, Pega with quite a few years, uh, like 16 years or more. And I I was the vice president of BPM Technology and uh, chief evangelist. Uh, I'm the author of 10 books, hundreds of articles. Um, I have a TEDx talk. Um, uh, my latest book, I'm sure that's what we're interviewing, <laughs> is, is really accurate, although I kept it small, of this whole vision of digital transformation, especially the cultural transformation. My TEDx talk was on culture, by the way, uh, that uh, companies are undergoing. I've interacted with many CIOs, IT managers, business leaders. Um, I'm recognized in both in the intelligent database and the intelligent business process management world, which are like, like data and processes, like data and the lang programming language, so like two sides of the same co coin, but this bringing to the business very much into blockchain, IoT, the design thinking. I mean, the book is covers it all in a very palatable way. And uh, I've established Hosh Consulting, uh, 
which really focuses on the content of the book. So that's very briefly on myself. <laughs> You're a busy guy. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> Congratulations. Now, I'm curious. You said you were at Pegasystems. Did you, is that correct? Yeah, I was uh, for the past like yeah. 18 months more. It's been a, it's, which, which is eight. Yeah. Did you know, the, did you know Don? Did you know Don over there? Don Sherman? Yeah. Yeah, I know. yeah sure. Oh, he's awesome. He's been on the show. Oh, okay. I got to meet him if I got to meet him a few years ago um, when we did an interview. And I I, you know, certain people stand out to me. And so when I saw Pegasystems, I was like, I really enjoyed that interview. I really enjoyed Don. Um, it sounds like that company had a really great culture. Yeah, yeah very good. Uh, cutting edge, uh, Cambridge, not so much Silicon Valley, but the Cambridge Castle, which itself has a mini Silicon Valley in the East Coast. So yeah. They're very much innovation. I've done a lot of innovations uh, at Pega, not only you know meeting the needs of transformation through process automation, but pushing the company into areas such as Internet of Things uh, and uh, uh, blockchain, which are as well as artificial intelligence, all the design thinking, all this. I, I've been also uh, innovating on. Uh, Centers of Excellence, Competency Center. How do you uh, balance uh, innovation IT, fast IT with maintenance IT? Uh, I'm an expert in that. One of the things that caught my eye after you know I watched TED Talk, I saw you had a book, and then you used some some words in an interesting way I hadn't used them before. I'm super super familiar with technical debt, right? But you kind of like put something adjacent to that, and you're calling it uh, digital transformation debt. And I wanted you to explain that to me. Oh, that's that's excellent. Yeah, I, I love it because uh, you know if you look at uh, technical debt, what's the premise, right? Uh, and that is so common. So let me start with that and take you to digital transformation, just in case your ocean uh, audience. I mean, although they can search, and you're right, I introduced the term digital transformation debt, but I'll, and I'll get into it. And I wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> so that's why we're we're here. Yeah, it, it's like you know. Getting things done, uh, you know, without paying the piper, so as to say, paying the price, you know, do do it quickly. You know, I don't have time for this. So let's just, you know, there are technological trends, methodology trends, um, you know, there are cultural transformation, transformative trends. So the main premise of uh, technical debt is, um, you know, I, I'm going to postpone. I know I have, okay, let's take a very, I'm going to get a little bit technical. Uh, and if I'm getting too much, uh, Joel, please let me know. Um, so, I mean, uh, one of the areas, in fact, I wrote a book about it um, that I get, get very deep into is object orientation. As you know, it was a key paradigm for many, many years, still is. I mean, if you look at uh, some of the popular languages, Java, C Sharp, C++, even it's creeping into JavaScript and many other uh, languages, modern languages as well. Well, um, if you look at that, um, there is sometimes, I'm just give you one example. You sometimes realize that your class structure or, or the overall structure of your code has problems and you keep on postponing it and patching, right? I'm just giving you one example. I keep on postponing and patching. That could happen in other programming paradigms as well, like structured programming, uh, like C, which is still popular. 
And you keep on postponing. You know you have to do it right, and you keep on postponing it. Well, you're accumulating debt. So that's the notion of technical. Or there is a new technological trend which, which allows you to do things much easier, much simpler. But you say, I'm too busy. I mean, I have all this code I need to maintain. You know, we, we use this example. It's from sales. It's really cute. You know, so these guys um, have a cart and they have square wheels and they're really trying to push this cart. And somebody comes and says, I, I have this round wheel I want to uh, sell you. And they say, no, we know how to do this. We're too busy. Go away. We're not interested in round wheel. It makes their life much easier, but they are stuck with the way they've been doing it and they keep on postponing the debt accumulates. Now, that's high level what people mean and you can check it. There are different opinions, etc. in terms of technical debt. Well, let's come to digital transformation debt. The world, I mean, this is not a, some catchy marketing term, but the world is really changing. Um, and it's changing not only in terms of the explosion of technology. So, so digital transformation that each of the words has a lot of meaning, a lot of semantics. There are connotations, some explicit, some hidden connotations. One of the, them, of course, is the digital, that the digital world is changing everything from digitized, business logic through artificial intelligence, which is, I mean, the, the one term you might uh, hear is the data-centric organization. We're exploding. Zetas and petas. I, I, I lost track. <laughs> how many zeros there, right? And how fast we're generating data, right? And also connected devices, exploding. Internet of things, connected homes. You know, I give this example, Joel. Um, so, uh, you know, you know, Best Buy and there are other, uh, you know, stores. Remember, go back five years, even 10 years. How much was the shelf stay, uh, shelf space for uh, Internet of uh, consumer things, right? Connected homes. Very little in the beginning, right? Now go there. And, and you know, like. I mean, you turn all around, it's all about the connected uh, home, right? It's, it's, and the same thing in manufacturing, the same thing in healthcare. Healthcare, telehealth uh, experimented an explosion during the COVID-19 and it continues. So the digital is very important. I'm just touching upon it. But then there's the transformation, which in my opinion is even more important. People are not realizing that the culture, that's where the transformation comes in, is changing. And what are the trends in this change? The younger generation, Gen Z, Gen X, they're much more innovative. They, they, they want to be independent. They want to be entrepreneurs. So the, that cultural change, there's so many dimensions. Of course, virtualization, you can see big companies on the bandwagon, right? With Facebook renaming itself Meta, Microsoft Mesh, which is also interesting, by the way. They're all getting into this bandwagon. And, but, but that's only part of it, the virtualization. It also has to do 
with flattening the organization, the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, people sometimes don't realize that, you know, when we talk about flattening organization, entrepreneurship, decentralization, connectivity, yes, there are technologies, but there are also cultural trends. And, and one very important aspect of that is, is something which, you know, there, there's even an organization for it, and that's servant leadership. With the servant leadership, that, that it has to come right from the top, right? Look at, you know, I always give the example. I, I, I bring pictures of org charts, right? The hierarchy, the, you know, top leader and the next level and the next level and the next level. And you have, I mean, what is happening with the, with the busy bees, right? The, the people who are really actually the, doing the work and the top layers, often there is a very serious disconnect. In their board meetings, they might think everything is rosy. Reality is very, very different. That organization, the org chart is being challenged by decentralization and it needs servant leaders. Servant leaders are, are it's, it's the exact opposite of what you have in, you know, for lack of a better name, dictatorial, top down you know, type of leadership, controlling leadership, right? Uh, you know, you do our bidding. I only surround myself with people who agree with me. I mean, you know the stuff, right? This is tradition. And the younger generation, there's an almost like a implicit silent revolution happening against this. And there are certain areas we can get into it, uh, especially the low code, no code, and the blockchain area where this is completely exploding. And what about the debt? The debt is that if you ignore this, and that's why I tried the, in, in the book to be holistic uh, without, you know, and, and you know, I re recommend people to get the ebook or Nook version. It's also on Google as well as the printed because in the ebook version, you, you, I made sure you can click on the links if you want to go deeper. But the book is very easy uh, to read. I try to make it holistic. And, and, and the depth is you cannot ignore, you cannot ignore. So I start with culture and I then I end up with competency center and we can go over some of the content if you like, Joel. But um, the depth is, is so critical. And, you know, every company should ask, how can I disrupt myself? Because if you don't ask that question, you will be disrupted. The world is changing in almost every domain. So that's my brief answer. <laughs> I, I, I covered it a little bit in more detail than maybe you expected, but that's that's sort of a picture of culture is very important for the debt, the technologies, the innovation, the methodologies, and the competency center basically, which balance, uh, balances uh, maintenance with innovation. Well, actually, can I can I can I interrupt you Please. here? Because I, you're you're doing a lot of good stuff, and then you just <laughs> you're moving on too fast. Okay, so because I've got questions, like you're you're smart, and this is interesting for me. Um, we were talking about digital transformation debt, right? So, has there been a way to measure it in the sense that, like, if we look at technical debt, right, we can say. You know, people will often log and while they're writing code, like that they're accumulating technical debt, and you can actually 
some people have come up with ways you could go try to visualize it or see how much technical debt you're accumulating. Uh, obviously, it's it's an abstract thing. And so at first, everyone was just accumulating it. Then people started trying to figure out ways to measure it. Have you come up with any ways to like measure this uh, digital transformation debt? That's my first question. My second question is... Um, and I'm just going to make a statement. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, so I'm trying to better understand this. That next generation that's coming up, can I accumulate tech, uh, digital transformation debt by ignoring those trends? Is that one of the ways to accumulate it? Yes. I mean, uh, let me touch upon uh, both of these. And I'm going to, to make it real, very real for you and very practical, I'm going to take one of the areas uh, that is in the book and which is one of the most important trends in digital transformation debt. And so let's go to your first question. Can you measure it? Yes. And there have been some independent uh, studies. The area I want to pick is low-code, no-code. And there have been studies which, so, so, so imagine in the traditional technical debt, you might be staying in the confines of your IDEs and the programming languages. And uh, so you, you're primarily thinking, how can I do this better, more libraries, refactoring the class structure, etc. It's technical. Do it, writing better code in your environments. In the digital transformation debt, number one, you're saying, okay, I'm going to move to a completely different paradigm, the low-code, especially the no-code paradigm. And people have measured that, like for the same problem, they've said, give me your uh, best in, you know, your traditional languages and your best in the low code, no code, and you see productivity gains and, and explosion through like minimum viable products much faster, sometimes in days, etc. And they've been objectively measured. And I have references of this in my book. So that that's the, I mean, just that's one area. I mean, you can take any of the areas. It's a great question because you want to measure. You just don't want to philosophize. But there is another aspect that, that sort of touches upon your second question. You can still keep your structure, your organization, and say, okay, instead of uh, me doing, uh, you know, like Java or C Sharp or C++, I'm going to move to one of the modern uh, no-code, low-code platforms. And, uh, you know, and, and then you keep everything uh, the same. And still, you know, business is communicating with IT. These are the problems we like to solve, et cetera. Well, there is here. Here is where the transformation comes. This, this, which is where it touches upon your question. What about you say? Okay, I'm going to take a, another. I have servant leaders. Uh, I want to take things further. I want to empower citizens to do development. Who is a citizen? Well, uh, here we are. You know, we're introducing yet another. Term. What is citizen development? I tell you, who is the citizen? You and me. We are citizens. Subject matter experts are, are citizens, engineers, doctors, nurses, uh, in any domain, they're citizens. In business uh, experts, uh, lawyers, uh, they're they all citizens. This is crazy. I mean, now, now they're building applications. Well, uh, don't they use PowerPoint? Don't they use Excel spreadsheets? Don't they use Word or, or you know, other uh, you know, productivity tools? Yes, they do. 
So especially with the newer, so it goes to you, to the newer generation who is not afraid of technology. Why don't we transform our organizations and empower them? Yes, you still need the partnership with IT for security, reliability, cloud architecture, et cetera. I understand that. You got to have Kubernetes, right? You, at least you know, <laughs> you got to mention it a couple of times. Um, why don't we empower them since they know what they want, how to optimize the customer experience, et cetera, to become developers? So that's because it's scary. It's scary. We don't know how to police it. We don't know the frameworks to manage it. It's like if we just let them start doing whatever they want with the data, where we're going to end up with a bunch of like rats' nest of data. Like, how, what's going to happen? And so, I mean, when you said afraid, I was like, oh, I haven't thought of it that way, but that makes perfect sense because people are afraid of new things, things they don't understand. And so when you get this whole generation that they're born, like my kids, you know, I've got a three, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, they just came into this universe where these magical screens existed that can search anything. And so like, they're not, they don't even think twice about it. They use it as, as an appendage, essentially. Uh, it's just like, there's a tool and let's use it. But you're right. Like I've, I've constantly, you know, I've heard, heard, Cause I'm, I'm like 34, 33, 34. So um, like i I see the spectrum, right. And I find that there is a certain mindset and you can't depict, like you can't predict it directly off of age because there's people, so many different people with so many different mindsets, but I'd say like people over the age of 30 are more likely to be scared of the technology than people under the age of 30 as of today. Spot on, Joel. And, and, you know, the illustration I was giving, I told you the, the book starts with culture, right? The vision, servant leadership, you know, flattening organization, decentralization, virtualization, the meta world, all of this. But then it ends with competency center. And that's so important. What you're saying is critical. You're right. I mean, I give you areas. I mean, I'm an expert in process automation. If you create robotic process, which are which are like software robots, and you just keep on multiplying, I, I heard of a case the other day. Uh, you know, they they started having a lot of robots, but then they're spending more time building these robots. I mean, they didn't gain anything and maintaining these robots than the productivity you get from the robots. So, technology without competency center. And the empowerment and the financing of the competency center, which has the charter to balance innovation with best practices. If you don't do that, you will fail. You will fail if you ignore the technology and the cultural trends, and you will fail if you just jump into this, you know, new, we call it in the industry, new shining balls, right? There, oh, IoT, I got to have IoT, or, or the new library, I got to have it, new tool, I got to have it, low code, I got to have, it. you just jump, robotic automation, all these technologies, so many technologies, you know, blockchain is the same, etc. If you just run after those without balancing it with best practices and having a structure that is empowered and financed. Everything from your design thinking methodology, which is a very well-defined uh, approach, um, empathizing with the, with the customer, et cetera, and all the iteration, you know, agile methodology, continuous improvement and innovation. If you don't have 
the governance of that and enabling your organization, training them, governing them and empowering them. And then seeing, you know, failing fast and succeeding faster, all those mantras, there is there needs to be an organization that keeps the balance. So the answer is you're absolutely right. You start with culture, you look at all these digital technologies and methodologies and transformation, but then the book ends with competency center. That's where you succeed. And that's very important. I like it. It's it's funny because, you know, while let's say a person generation or two ahead of me would be scared of technology. And I'm sitting over here like, oh, you're scared of technology. You shouldn't be, but I'm scared of giving them like RPA type tools and what they're going to, and then the next generation is going to grow up in that world. And they're like, what? You're scared of that? You're scared of empowering these people? And it's, it's kind of funny how that works, yep. right? Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to know what value streams are. Yeah. So, what are value streams? <laughs> that, that's great. And, and it's, um, uh, it's more pervasive than one would uh, realize. So one of the problem, and now we're going into that, that world, is that there are many, many terms which have very close semantics. And I might differ from other colleagues, and I, I'm a thought leader myself, and I take these uh, synonymously. For me, it's a value stream is A, and, and another term, by the way, and I, I will highlight this because uh, I want to mention something very important, is value chain. I use value stream and value chain synonymously, okay? okay. It has a beginning, it has an end, right? It's a stream. It has a beginning and it has an end. Uh, think of a stream as a source, and it ends up in the ocean. Uh, that's that's a stream. And um, in between, it goes through many things. It, you want the way to think about it is it goes through states, right? You know, I opened, um, uh, I applied for an account, uh, and then the next step is my background is checking if I'm in bad people list. So let's say it's a bank. And then the account is made available and I send the e email or the text of where the account is. And then I have to go and establish my password and my ID and the 2FA, etc. It's a stream. You do that stream, your account is open, you can use it. That's the simplest example. And, and we do this almost on a daily basis, right? Everywhere. So it's a stream. Some of it is automatic. Some of it might need humans uh, to approve, right? It might take a few days. There are clearing. It might talk to my systems of record in the back. Might even talk to third parties via APIs. All this good stuff. But it has a beginning and an end. And here's the thing. And it provides value. In this case, my account is open. Uh, that provides a lot of value for me and a lot of value for, for example, the financial organization. And if you look at any organization, it's really an aggregate of value streams or value chains. Other terms, process, workflow, take them as synonyms. Beginning, end, right? And then orchestration of a lot of activities and tasks. And usually you also, if you're in continuous improvement, you might have upper limits, lower limits. You want to avoid waste. There you go into Six Sigma and lean types of uh, principles. I said, I also like value chain for the following reason. A, 
stream or a chain, a value chain, and this is so important. If if your listeners forget most of what we're saying, please remember this. Your organization is a collection of value streams or value chains. And each one of these is as strong as the weakest link. Let me repeat that. A string or a chain, a stream or a chain is as strong as the weakest link. What does that mean? And how does this deal with digital transformation? One word I haven't used so far, which is so important, is silo. Silo. If you look at uh, inefficiencies within an organization, let alone between organizations, you immediately run into silo problem. That, that is, we experience this all the time. Uh, you call in or you, you access the web, maybe there is a bot there helping you, and then they cannot solve your problem, they have to escalate it. You gave the credentials, you have to give the credentials again. I've had it happen to me several times, every time, give the credit. That's an example of a siloed organization, right? Uh, and and there's so many examples. Uh, there are organizations which are selling on different channels, and the price, it depends on the channel you go to, right? <laughs> Whether you know, you're calling them or the web, because they're siloed, they've, they've used different applications. There's so many examples of siloed. You know, the, they didn't know, your address was not updated. All these, you know, the, you didn't get, uh, you, you had a dispute, you didn't get compensated for it, etc. These are all examples of silos. The organization, why? Because we encourage it, go back to that org chart, we reward people to stay in their silos. A, a value stream or a value chain goes across the organization. I mean, think about it, Joe. It goes across the organization. A process goes across the organization. You start one place, you might get legal involved, financial involved, IT involved. Each one of them has their kingdom, and they love their kingdom. And they have their own people, and they're in their silos. So here is why transformation is so important. An organization is an aggregate of value streams or value chains, processes, workflows, whatever you want to call them. Yet the organization is hierarchical, right? So the business, what they do is goes across how they've organized themselves is hierarchical. That's the problem. That's why decentralization and, and servant leaderships are, are so important. So... Can you have a horizontal hierarchy? Well, okay, great question. So how are you going to have, that's why flattening is very important. And people are experimenting with alternative organizational structure. In fact, if you think about it, blockchain with the decentralized autonomous organization, I mean, I mean Vitalik Buterin has a, semi-official uh, white paper on this. I, I advise people to check it. And I touch upon it, and I have other material. I touch upon it in the book. It's very much dealing with this. I'll give you one example, Joel, where we are paying an enormous price uh, as individuals, as businesses, as countries, and that's supply chain. I mean, think about it. We talked about silos within an organization. So think about intra-silos. Now think about silos between organizations, even between countries and continents, right? It's much worse. And we're 
we're seeing that. I mean, what you're seeing in the and in a sense, an organization even, you know, their value streams are little supply chains within the organization. You know, they're they're customers of each other, and and supply chain usually involves multiple tiers. It's not just one tier, and and anytime you have a weakness, why are we seeing this? It might be a weakness in transportation. You see, this is the exactly the example of a chain is as strong as the weakest link. What is happening between organizations and countries or businesses, it's happening within organizations. So the the decentralized autonomous organization, still we're at the infancy. We need to pay attention. I believe the transformation, every company should think about doing a DAO themselves, flattening their organization, empowering their people, bringing up the innovation in them, especially the younger generation, and you know, creating a very innovative center of excellence. That's the short answer to that. It's difficult. All right. I like it. I like it. But and you know what? You touched on something that I I really got passionate about this, like in my own thoughts, right? When COVID happened and we started looking at where manu- like how centralized everything was. And meanwhile, we're growing up in an age where everything's becoming decentralized in technology. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, they can't see that these cost benefits of centralizing the supply chain, I'm sure there's some cost savings, but it's far outweighed by the cost of a central failure because the cost of a central failure is catastrophic. But if you decentralize it, it just costs a little bit more. Yeah, that that that's... yeah. I don't know. It blew my mind to think of all the things that we rely. Where do, are you in the United States? Yes, or yes no? United States. Okay. Yeah. So you're you're currently you know living in the United States, and to think about how dependent we are on like the most common medications that are produced, we don't even have a facility here that can produce them. And well, I know that a lot of that's changing through startups and through government funding and whatnot. And I'm that's one thing where like I'd be glad to spend money. Like, where's that bill? Like, okay, we get it. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we need to work on as a society, but where's the bill to be like, hey, so uh, we're going to build these facilities. So if, uh, you know, <laughs> something happens, we don't all die. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Your touch of iron medication is one, chips is another, right? Chips? Yeah. yeah. Food. Food. Sub- you know, there are studies which show that, you know, and I might be conservative, 30% of food is spoiled. I mean, we we have countries. Oh, it, go ahead, go. Yeah, I think it's way more than that. Like they, they, I watched some documentary a few years ago, and they showed like it was on the waste in Las Vegas because they like waste so much food, and then they started working with like some farms. But even when they take the excess food and work with the farms, there's still like a massive amount of waste. Absolutely, yeah, and it's uh, this is a big problem. We will face supply chain challenges for years. It might even be decades. But the good news is the infrastructure, especially through blockchain. I mean, people, I'm sure, I mean, I keep on coming to that because it's a, there is something called Web3, right? And and I, I, I touch upon this. This is very important. So, so we're still very much in the Web2 world. Right, and we're conducting e-commerce over the web. Web three is going to be different, and and uh, there are different angles uh, where people have approached Web three. Uh, one of them uh, is the semantic net, which really did not happen 
but still it's implicit in it. Uh, ontologies and, and really the meaning of the connectivity, the, the, this hypermedia connectivity, more semantics with AI and other knowledge models. But there are other uh, components uh, and one of the components is in the infra infrastructure is um, a blockchain, uh, which which is really I mean distributed ledger, which is replicated, etc. But then as you go higher, you get into areas like uh, augmented reality and virtual reality, which which you know the the many large companies like Facebook and Microsoft are coming at it top down. They need to the the architecture structure has to change with blockchain in the bottom, you have AR, VR and the interactions at a, at a higher level. The world is moving in that direction, but very, very slow. So if blockchain becomes, and there are examples, including in food, um, uh, where uh, you can leverage blockchain for supply chain, it's ideal, it's made for that. Because you can have all these third parties go and find out where things are doesn't necessarily mean it solves it, but at least you are aware. Many times today, we're not aware. Believe me, there are people who are using paper and signature and, and you know, they, it's, it's like you have very advanced countries and then you might pass through ports and other places. We've seen, there's so many examples you can search, you know, like uh, some some ship can close the Suez Canal, what happens? And, and there are uh, people on uh, in a port, I'm just going to give an example, who don't want to be vaccinated and they're not working. So what happens there? And you keep accumulating boats. I mean, there are, and you might have very advanced countries with auto, a lot of automation, but the value chain is, is not healthy. It's like a river coming down and there are these narrow paths and it's choking everything. So that has to be decluttered. That, that has to be solved. And of course, it's not an all-in-all -all answer, but if we start moving, it's, it's almost like a maturity model towards decentralizing our world, our companies, our governments, everything has to be decentralized. And then we permeate this decentralized autonomous organization involving different parties. That is down the you know, pipe, so as to say, but it's an yeah. inevitable trend. So my, I'm glad that you mentioned the port thing because my father-in-law has been a UPS driver for 30 years. He drives the semi-trucks, right? And so we were all talking about this. And uh, did you know that at the ports, like there are countries that have like fully autonomous ports or they're, they're very close to fully autonomous ports. And then ours in America are like ridiculously manual because the unions that protect the workers' jobs don't let the new technology come in. I was like blown away by that. I was like, that's not very American. Like our, like we need, that's like the, that's the recipe to fall behind. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you, you, that's so was, important. Yeah. Um, you said something earlier when I was, I was, when you're talking about like flattening the organization, yeah. that's a hard sell. Right. But I was thinking like an easier sell would sell would be like extract a value chain mm -hmm out of the organization and then have a have a flattened value chain with like one specific thing so you could get used to it and have experience with it cuz asking a company that's old older or old enough to have a, a decent hierarchy to just flatten they can't do that overnight 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I like what you're saying. And the, the way I put that, and I've done workshops, uh, um, is to think big, think digital, but start small. So what you're touching upon is start small. Find the, the value stream or value chain with the greatest value. Uh, but not too difficult. So that's another thing I've seen, Joel, that people get excited about the technology and the vision and they bite more than uh, they can chew. Uh, an example of that is many of the uh, SOA, service-oriented architecture initiatives failed, right? A, a lot of, by the way, a lot of digital transformation initiatives fail. Probably majority fail because they're not, willing uh, a a they're not willing to change b they they are willing to change but they want to change everything suddenly it doesn't work that way you, so your point is very well taken i want to get your thoughts on and you might not study this area but recently i've got some people i follow online and they they started talking about nfts and i was like okay and so i google what it was and i was like got it i understand and then I started seeing them make like a lot of money with NFTs. And I was like, I like was dismissive of it. I was like, okay. But then I thought, like I was talking with my wife this morning actually about it. And I said, you know what? I think it's equally as crazy that people will pay $20 million for a painting. Like, cause my brain just doesn't process it. Cause I am not that market. Right. Um, I'm utilitarian. Like I need to be able to use it. So the idea that like you could use this NFT technology to just do that with any object, I mean, it doesn't sound that crazy. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I'm not an expert. I dabble with it. In fact, uh, one of my sons has, is an expert in it. His name is Shahan. He has a very exciting uh, podcast on with Shahan. And I've done an interview on, the, on my book on it. And he has, has interviews with a lot of the blockchain and uh, cryptocurrency leaders. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's you—you you, you spot on in terms of. But it's in a digital world, and in NFT is a bit richer than that, because you have a lot of flexibility. You can have the. It's first of all non-fungible. It's a unique, uh, you know, asset if you like. Uh, so it's it's not, uh, and you have the ownership and the proof of that. Uh, but then you can also associate that with the with the physical, like a painting. You can have the digital and, and the original ownership of that digital, as well as the the physical, if you like to. So there are many many flexibilities. It's a it's a new way of uh, creating uh, value. Um, my son was telling me about these monkeys, images of monkeys, and and the new model that when you own these. Uh, and then uh, they use the monkey in, for example, an ad or a movie, etc. Uh, you get royalties on that, which which is a very different way of. I mean, it's revolutionizing uh, the way we we store value, we share value, we exchange value, and we create wealth. It sort of dovetails from the blockchain and the cryptocurrency world, um, which I like to call better Web3, really. I mean, we have to think about this, otherwise it becomes fringe. So th think about this, the NFT is an application of it, because underneath you have blockchain technology. Web3 is the new architectural paradigm, and it's in its infancy, it's just starting. Uh, 
and and although i mean there are a lot of tools you have a lot of material about it and as i said many of the big companies are coming at it from the more exciting um, augmented reality virtual reality world immersive sort of the meta world but really underneath you for to make this all work you have you need blockchain and nft is a very exciting application of that how we're we're coming up on time here, so I, I'm very curious. How do you make money? <laughs> uh, are you talking for me or? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you've got books. Are you, do you primarily make your money from speaking gigs, yeah. workshops, consulting? Just you're selling your books. How do you how do you make money? Yeah. So at this stage in my career, uh, total transfer. I don't need to. I I, I don't need, uh, and it's more like uh, I like it. Uh, yes, I do consulting. Um, you know, book probably it will cost me more than, uh, and and I'm teaching <laughs> these courses. But that's not why why I do it, and which is very important. Uh, and also, I have other channels. You know, I have investments and so on, including in cryptocurrency. But that's, you know, money is important, but it should not be the motivation. I like to do like I immensely enjoy this. You can call me anytime. You know, it, it's. I, I like to have fun. I mean, life is too short and uh, enjoy. And I realize people have to make uh, money, but that's important. It's important uh, to, to have a more holistic approach. Uh, life is not just about work and money. Uh, I know a lot of people who have money and they're miserable. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, that's not the measure. I, I like to have fun. So for me, it's it's almost like not even an issue. But I do understand, and I'm I'm available. I mean, I like to help organizations in this transformative. It's almost like a, I've been working. I mean, you heard my TEDx talk. I touched upon culture in the TEDx talk, and I've been doing this for several years. And in many ways, uh, business process automation is really cultural uh, cultural change. It touches upon we we have so much waste. All is it's it's painful. The amount of waste there exists in companies, in in uh, in government, uh, and, and and especially the poorer uh, people are paying enormous price for that because people are inefficient. So that motivates me. Anything that improves efficiency, uh, operational excellence—that's another term of it. It touches upon lean and six sigma. That motivates me. So. Short term, yes, I do consulting, I do teaching, um, you know, uh, but I choose what I want to consult, who I want to consult, and I have other investments and uh, I've done well, so I don't really need to worry about that. Excellent. Yeah. So people should buy the book. It's Digital Transformation Debt. Is that the name of the book? Yes. How to Alleviate Digital Transformation Debt especially post-COVID-19, because the world has changed. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.